from WCL Pure, this is One Ocean. Hello, and welcome back to another episode. This week, we have something a little different. This week, we have not one, not two, not three, but four guests. Yes, back at the Vans US Open of Surf this summer, we had a stellar panel discussion titled Our Climate and Our Coasts. We did this in front of a live crowd at Pacific City, right in Huntington Beach, California, and it was really fun. I was lucky to moderate a discussion between Stephanie Sikich-Quinn, who is the Coastal Preservation Manager for Surfrider Foundation, Kim Matsukis, who's the Senior Manager Sustainability at Vans, Jackson Hinkle, Youth Climate Activist and Social Change Agent, and finally, Free Surfer, Founder of Positive Vibe Warriors, and overall like walking smile, Dane Godoskis. Dane is rad. And a quick plug, if you're loving Dane's positive vibe in this episode, then definitely go check out the podcast, The Lineup with Dave Proden. My WCL teammate, Dave, is a veteran on tour, and he hosts this great podcast where he dives deep into the surfing side of things with some of the real legends of the sport. And he recently had Dane on the show, and they had a great discussion. It's really worth a listen, so check it out, The Lineup with Dave Proden. Okay, so back to our panel. This was a fun one, and we thought it's relevant given all the great work that Vans does at the U.S. Open of Surf, as well as at the Vans Triple Crown of Surfing, which is wrapping up in Hawaii any day now. So they really work hard to make their events sustainable, and they're great partners in this effort, and they work with our friends at Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii and our team in Hawaii to make our events just as good as they can be, plastic-free, carbon-neutral, etc. And so we thought it'd be cool to shout that out, and we had a great discussion and don't forget to stick around after our discussion because I have some exciting items that washed up in this week's Flotsam and Jetsam. It's a fun one. So uh, here we go. Great discussion with our friends Stephanie, Kim, Dane, and Jackson. All right. We're going to get this thing started. Uh, my name is Reese Pacheco. I'm the executive director for WSL Pure, which is the World Surf League's nonprofit. Pure is dedicated to inspire, educate, and empower ocean protection. And so one of the ways that we do that is we talk about the issues. And one of the most important things we can do is talk about climate change. And that's why I'm honored to have a great crew of people here who are all working on this problem in various facets uh, of the problem. So let's kick it right off. Um, Stephanie, what's going on with our climate, for those who may not know? Right. So there's two ways to look at what's happening with climate change. One, what's happening on land or terrestrially, and then what's happening with our ocean and coast. And I'd just like to say that our ocean is at the center of climate change. Our ocean creates all of the air we breathe. It feeds people around the world. And so to have that ocean at the center of probably one of the largest threats that our society will ever face is really eye-opening. And we are starting to see some impacts that come from climate change. As you know, basically global warming is us just putting too much greenhouse gases in the air. It gets trapped in the atmosphere, acts like a warm blanket. Everything starts to warm up. The ocean is also like a sponge. So it has absorbed about 90% of the heat that's been released into our atmosphere and about 30% of the carbon that's been released into our atmosphere. And I can get into other impacts later, but just wanted to really put the ocean at the center of climate change and explain how it really is absorbing a lot of the, the impacts that um, have been put into the atmosphere by humans. And even though it's in peril, it's a beautiful thing and I have hope for it. I, I love that optimism, but I do want to go back to one of those figures because you rolled those off pretty quickly. Sure. So let's pause for a second on sure. 
how much heat the ocean has absorbed. You said over 90%. About 90%. Yeah. So again, back to that blanket analogy, the atmosphere is basically tucked in all of this warm energy and the atmosphere really can't take it anymore. And so the oceans are absorbing it. The interface between the atmosphere and the oceans to me is fascinating. I have to admit, I'm not a surfer. I work for Surfrider, but I'm like what? The, the dorky dork of Surfrider. Sorry to disappoint you, Dane. No, that's, Suck you're the important surfing. person here. <laughs> <Suck> <laughs> that's what we really need. <laughs> but I love the ocean because I understand it from a scientific level and I've been trying so hard to protect it. Uh, so this interface between the atmosphere and the ocean is fascinating. Again, the ocean is, is trying to help the atmosphere deal, deal with all of the pollution and heat that's been in the atmosphere. Um, as our atmosphere continues to be burdened with all of this heat, we're starting to see more rainstorms. And that is what scientists have been telling us for decades and decades, that we're going to see a ton of precipitation. So we've seen that just even this week. Um, so anyways, the ocean is kind of, again, exchanging between the atmosphere, has absorbed about 90% of the heat. Um, and for me, which is more frightening, is 30% of carbon, because that's actually changing the chemistry of the ocean. So shellfish are not able to form their hard structures around them. Reefs don't have enough calcium carbonate to actually form corals. And then we start to see just a drastic chemistry change. So those two scientific facts are pretty important about the ocean that it really is a sponge. For sure. Now, Dane, you're not a scientist, and that's okay. Neither am I. Uh, but you've been around the world. You've seen probably a lot of the effects of this. I mean, you're, you're probably, you have a PhD in, in wave chasing at least, you know, in wave knowledge and understanding breaks. Have you seen any effects of climate change in your travels? Have you seen reefs changing? Have you seen waves getting swamped out? Talk about your experience as a surfer and just through your own eyes. Yeah, well, um, it's like, it's been an incredible journey that we're always so thankful to share. And it's amazing to see cultures around the world and how they experience the ocean. Um, and there's so many similarities, there's common threads, it's very simple, it's very beautiful in that essence, but at the same time, some of these communities, like I was just in Nigeria for a couple of weeks surfing, and right outside of Lagos Harbor, and the amount of plastic and trash on the beach was, uh, was, was mind-blowing. I'm not even talking about like, oh, that's, that's overwhelming, I'm talking about like, it was just mountains. And basically you're surfing in like a split piece soup of, of trash and plastic, and, and it was interesting because the kids that were living there, you know, the, um, that's what they knew is the ocean. It wasn't really seeming to raise any red flags or alarms. And it was just uh, very interesting to see how they, they engage with it. But for me, it was, um, it was shocking to see that much trash in the ocean. And yeah, I mean, there's so many great people doing efforts in so many different facets of, of the situation to make these changes in a positive way. And um, it just inspired me to go home and try and be significantly more conscious as to what I'm using and definitely not like a hero. You know, at times you, you, it's, it happens, you know, you end up using some plastic stuff, but really if you can just chip away at it and make those daily, you know, improvements, I think that is how you make the change over the long haul. I mean, if if each of us just took a stand and could just make one or two improvements a day and, and improved on those by two the next week and then the next week, and then you'd be seeing a, a significant improvement over the course of a month or two rather than just saying, hey, tomorrow it's all over. That trip really inspired for me to make a change in my life. 
And that's just one of several trips you've done where you've made a change. Uh, maybe you can, you know, while you're on the topic, talk about Positive Vibe Warriors and what you're doing there. You know, it's not necessarily focused on climate, but it is focused on our coast and our community and engaging people in the ocean, right? You're, you're enabling more kids to surf. So maybe give us a quick line on Positive Vibe Warriors and what you're doing there. And, oh, uh, yeah, that's, that's super fun stuff. It's been a really uh, great journey with the foundation, my brothers and I. We have a foundation that gives back to youth water safety programs and helps uh, emerging surf cultures around the world. And in that last part of it, it's about um, doing surfboard drives for communities in need. And so far, we've raised over 300 for Jamaica down there, basically went to the whole nation of Jamaica, over 800 boards down in South Africa after a relationship that we have through Vans with Michael February. It was just incredible. And those boards went to the kids in the townships um, and actually up in Liberia and Somalia, which was fantastic. And then it, down in Trinidad and Tobago, there's some really under-resourced communities down there. And they're showing that surfing's a great outlet for therapy and all sorts of things. But we did also find that basically upcycling a surfboard is uh, equally as beneficial to the environment. I mean, it doesn't matter what kind of new technology is available that's more eco. I think still the most sustainable surfboard is the one that lasts the longest and 100%. can be changed in hands and, and carried forward. So... So, yeah, that just kind of happened as a byproduct. And as we were going along, we we're like, wow, we're, this is something that's kind of catching on here. So, yeah, it's just been a real treat to see that integrate into these communities. And you touched on a great point around just, again, getting kids in the water, getting them stoked, keeping them, you know, uh, in the sport and uh, that kind of youth movement, right? And you're, you're, you're engaging the youth. And I, I think, Jackson, this is a really nice segue into what you've been up to. Um, I couldn't describe you before because when I, when I first met Jackson, he was wearing a red beanie like uh, Steve Zissou from uh, The Life Aquatic and leading a young group of uh, kind of students to protect their ocean. And then like, I follow him on Instagram and a few weeks later, before I know it, he's running for office for what, local city council? Yeah, city, right? San Clemente City Council. Yeah, and yeah. one of the youngest ever candidates to yeah. run, is that it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so you're a part of this youth movement of these incredible activists. Um, talk about the youth movement around climate. Why is that so important to you? You're the youngest person on stage. So you're the one who has to live with this longer than any of us. Yeah, well, it's extremely important, and I think, uh, I think Dane, what, what you guys are doing also is you're, you're, teaching, you're teaching kids about nature, and you're teaching people who wouldn't normally have access to like being out in the ocean and living that life that we all have the opportunity to live, you know, and we understand why it's important to protect these places. And uh, I think it's beautiful that you guys are, you know, creating that and you're teaching people why it's important to preserve uh, these beautiful areas. So I wanted to touch on that first, but yeah, the, I mean, to be frank, we're the generation that's gonna have to deal and inherit all of these problems that have been building up uh, over the past, you know, few decades and centuries and, you know, everything that we talk about from plastic pollution to methane and carbon emissions to, uh, you know, nuclear waste disposal, truly anything that you, that we have produced, our generation and future generations are going to be the, the ones who, uh, you know, have to deal with the impacts of all of that. So, that's why there's so many young people all across the world right now. Shout out to the brothers Shateska, Martinez, Greta Thunberg, everyone across this world, all the young people who are standing up and making a difference because it's now or never, you know? And uh, if, we, if we don't take a, stance, a stand now, then this is all we got. We don't have anything else left to fight for. This is our only planet. There's no planet B, as they say. And uh, it's now or never. 
For sure. And speaking of kind of the, the, the youth movement um, here at this event and, you know, the need for different efforts to step up and, and, and be better, right? I mean, we need corporations to step up. We need governments to step up. Um, Vans, Kim, you have led an effort at Vans over the past few years to really drive sustainability. And uh, I know what you've been up to, but maybe you can share with the crowd what Vans has been doing. Um, you know, this is a huge event, huge footprint. How you use that to engage on sustainability, some of the projects you've done. I know you've done projects with Dane. Yeah, so um, specifically at our surf events, we've, we think this is a great way to show how you can make these events more sustainable. So the US Open here, as well as the Vans Triple Crown in Hawaii, in the winter every year, we've worked quite a bit on um, reducing the amount of waste that we create at those events. So I always like to give this, uh, this fact because it blows people's mind. Um, we have about 700 people working at our headquarters in Costa Mesa. And we produce more waste at this one week event than that our headquarters does in a year. So we have a big opportunity <laughs> to make a difference. So, you know, everything from just making sure everything gets properly recycled and composted, we generally recycle our compost about 66% of the waste that gets created here. We, a lot of people ask about the, um, the skate bowl that gets recycled every year. Um, and then even things like source reduction. Hang on. What do you mean the skate bowl gets recycled? The concrete. Like you skate just like bowl. put it in the in the blue bin. No, no, no. You throw it gets the whole skate bowl. And recycled. The cement gets recycled. That's amazing. Yes. yes. Cement yes. production is one of the highest. Yes. You know, exactly. It's really important to recycle cement. That's a very nerded nerdy fact, but yes, I'm a nerd also. So. Um, yeah, so that's some of the stuff we do around waste and even like source reduction. So just not bringing in as much waste. Um, so this year, actually, we in our in our VIP area, we have all reusables. So we're not using any um, single use plastic or anything, not even paper. Um, and we wanted to try Ooh, that here. Yeah, that's huge. Like yeah. That's a round of applause. Huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then on climate, you know, there there's not a ton we can do to reduce other than trying to use biodiesel in the generators that run the event, which we do at both events. Um, and actually in Hawaii, Dane came with me to go see where the biodiesel was, was produced. So in Hawaii, it's actually produced from used cooking oil from all the restaurants on the North Shore. They take that um, used cooking oil and they refine it to make biodiesel, and that's what actually runs the event uh, in Hawaii. So, and Dane did a little video with us. If you Google it, you'll you can see him touring the thing. He was pretty excited. <laughs> that was really cool to see how you could tie tie it all together and make it a more sustainable event site by using the local resources right there. I mean, it smelled like restaurant when you it got did. the oil going. So I was like, whoa, yeah. I didn't expect that. I thought it'd be a little more refined, but it was right from the source. Yeah, exactly. And then um, the other thing we do on, on climate is we actually just measure the carbon footprint of the event. So we know how much carbon is created when competitors fly in and staff fly in, and we measure that, and then we actually purchase carbon offsets. And I know WSL Pure has um, got an offset program as well. So we're doing something similar. Did you just kick a question back to I me? Did. did you just tee me up? <laughs> wow, I, we didn't even plan that. Uh, yeah, so the World Surf League, we're actually really proud. Earlier this year, we announced that uh, we are going carbon neutral across our operations. So that means offsetting our emissions for our offices, 
our World Championship Tour, Big Wave Tour events um, around the world, including Scope 3 emissions. So there's different levels of emissions, and Scope 3 are your, your travel emissions. And as a business, we don't make a lot of stuff. We don't make shoes or shirts like Vans does, but we do fly all over the place, and we fly surfers all over the place. We fly far and we fly often. And so the WSL is taking control of that and offsetting that through local projects to try to regenerate the habitat uh, of our planet, which is really, really important. I mean, it's the single biggest way that we can be more sustainable as a league. Uh, in addition, uh, I'll just, while I'm on it, we also committed to going single-serve plastic-free across our events starting in 2020. We're on the World Championship Tour and Big Wave Tour, which is another huge one. Um, and here's a sneaky stat, is that plastics contribute massively to carbon emissions. Yeah, all right, we'll, we'll come back to you. You gotta say that one in the mic for everybody here that you're gonna say that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I mean, I really was gonna chime in. The plastic problem is enormous and it's, and it's just ubiquitous. It's everywhere across the world. But if we actually do not consume as much plastic, we are not contributing to this horrible cycle of extraction of petroleum, which makes plastic. And then honestly, try not to be the bearer of bad news here, but um, we used to ship all of our recycling to China and that was for decades and decades. And just recently China's like, we don't want your plastic anymore. So as a country, we're gonna have to start to deal with that. Um, they're sending back tons of plastic that's actually, they call damaged, which means it's just dirty and it can't be recycled. So the more that you do to not use plastic, to not have water bottles, it, is, it really does help with climate and the plastic problem. So you kind of have like a two for one with that. And I continue, I, everyone who's doing it, I really am grateful for you guys because there's that connection. And so that was one of the questions actually from one of our uh, fans. Um, it was, uh, what are some strategies most people can use to cut back on single use waste? So maybe like right down the line, let's bang that one out. And this question was from at Austin underscore E. Thank you, Austin, for sending that one in. What are your quick, what's your quick tip? What's your like little hack for avoiding a single use plastic? So basically when I go to the grocery store and I buy my own vegetables, I take uh, plastic bags from like used to be my chips or tortilla, whatever. Anytime I can recycle a bag and take it in. And believe me, I get weird looks when I'm like, I put onions inside of like a Doritos The crazy bag. lady with the chip bag is Totally. Back. I'm the crazy lady with the chip bag, 100%. Um, taking my own containers when I go out to dinner, uh, obviously not using uh, single-use plastic. And I mean, really at the end of the day, just anything you can do at home with just your lights, taking care of your car, every time you speed or your tires are flat, you increase your carbon footprint. Eating locally is another really good thing. I know we're talking about plastic, but I do want to bring it back You're to the You're getting all the tips in. This is amazing. Yeah, because it's carbon footprint style, you know? <laughs> um, and also too, you know, Basically, when you find yourself looking at what you eat, uh, you know, unfortunately me, and I'm a vegetarian, but I never push this on people because it really bugs me when people push their habits too much. Um, but even just eating meat like once less once a week and then eating locally because every time we ship something, we're increasing our carbon footprint. So just kind of eat local, healthy, um, reuse everything, keep your house cool and try to tread lightly. So a lot of good individual tips there. Maybe Kim, can you give us some corporate tips? How can businesses get a handle on plastic or, or you know, their emissions generally? What are those tips that you have? So I do want to say one, one thing personally, because I think okay. I just learned this actually. And it's not like a tip. Like there's many tips you can have. There's internet, you can Google it. I'm sure there's a BuzzFeed list about that. But um, I recently- You can go to surfrider.org <laughs> or wslpure.org. Yeah. There you go. I happen to know some websites. <laughs> Um, but I think it's really important that you have a, a mindset about it. I think Dane kind of alluded to this, like 
it doesn't have to be um, a burden. Like, if you think about it as a burden, then it does become kind of a pain in the butt. Like, it's just one more thing you have to do. So the way that I've started um, thinking about being um, using less plastic is just that I'm living more mindfully um, and I'm being more in the moment instead of just being such a slave to convenience. Like, I don't want to live my life being a slave to convenience. I'd rather be more mindful about how I live, and that includes using less plastic. So I find that that makes my life and my efforts a lot easier when you just have like a different mindset about it. If you just think of it as another chore, it, that's how it's going to feel, and it's probably not going to work for you. So that's my, my personal tip. On the, on the business side, I mean, I think you just got to get in the game. I mean, I think it can be, seem really overwhelming, um, but there, I guarantee you, no matter where you work, there are people in that business that care about this and want to do something. So start with them. That's my, that's usually my advice to people. It's a lot. Some, some quick tips on how you try and reduce your footprint overall. Well, for sure. Those hydro flask bottles are like, I mean, They're those perfect. are lifesavers. I live out of mine. Um, yeah, I take it everywhere. Even at home, it's just insane. And I don't know, it's just like, like Kim was talking about. I mean, it's just baby steps, to, but getting it, in, and all of a sudden it'll become liberating. Like, it'll be fun. You'll be like, oh, look at me. I'm improving, you know? I'm being a part of this positive change that's happening. And I think it's, um, it becomes easier as you do more. And I actually got super psyched on the carbon footprint thing because I started, I was like, man, I'm just going to farm all my own veggies. I'm like, screw, you know, getting stuff from the store because I just wanted it fresh. It's one right there in the backyard. And it's actually been a great... Um, not only process um, to eat that fresh, but to, to learn about farming more and, and feel connected to what you're consuming. And, and it's just been a beautiful... So those small things, and they can open up different chapters in your life that may be personal or something different. So you never know where the journey is going to take you. But I think, as Kim alluded to, it's just a, you know, one foot in front of the other. And, and you can make a difference in your own world. I, I, can I just jump in on that too? Go for it. So, if you can't farm, if you live somewhere you don't have space, you well, can it's, it's not a huge farm. I know, but, I know. But, but you, you can it. always um, either, well, you could do one or two plants, or you can go to your local farmer's market. That's exactly. a great way to eat locally, support the local community, reduce your carbon footprint. You, you can bring your own canvas bag and no plastic. Okay, so one more sciencey fact, and then we'll give it back to Jackson. But even soil itself sequesters carbon, sometimes more than certain types of trees. So even Dane's garden is actually helping take carbon out of the air. So if, and if you remove your front lawn, it's the same thing. So that's like another thing you can do is, is like my front lawn is in its process of that. I love my grass in the backyard because I have a small child who runs around. So I'm making a compromise. Um, and it helps with stormwater runoff as well. So yay for farming. Jackson, I'm gonna, I think we got a lot of good tips there, so I'm gonna go in a different direction here, but she just kind of mentioned uh, you know, regenerative farming and different solutions for drawing down carbon, and, and draw down the term is around pulling carbon out of our atmosphere to hopefully protect our environment, right? Um, there is currently a presidential race, there are a lot of plans out there, there's a Green New Deal, some of them include technologies for drawing down carbon, some of them are more, we need to in, improve our farming. As the, the local politician here on this stage, uh, have you analyzed any of those plans? Are you a fan of innovation and technology, or do you think it's more about reducing? Um, what, what are the moves that are going to help us stave off the climate crisis? 
Yeah, as a, as a local politician who cares a lot about the future of our earth, I, uh, I have been on the forefront nationally of advocating and advocating for the Green New Deal. And that the Green New Deal is very vague. And I think a lot of people have ideas about it. You hear it on the news, you hear it in the newspaper, you don't really know what it means. And, and it currently is a vague bill. It doesn't have a lot of teeth. It, it just says that we have to get to net carbon emission, net zero carbon emissions by a certain date. And it doesn't really specify how it's going to be done, but it's a vision for the future. And uh, when you have people on both sides of the political aisle who are taking loads of money from the fossil fuel industry and from those who would love to see the fossil fuel industry continue to thrive, uh, we're not going to pass anything like that. So, brief story, I serve on Nancy Pelosi, who's the Speaker of the House, her Youth Advisory Council, uh, specifically on climate-related issues. And for months, I've been trying to get her to support the Green New Deal, and it never happened. So, um, I joined with the young people in Washington, D.C., who were going to sit in her office, and 120 of us got arrested in the process of advocating for the Green New Deal. And uh, we still don't have it, but we're a whole hell of a lot closer to getting it done than we were a few months ago. So um, to your question, truly anything that is going to get us there is the solution. There's the drawdown's great. The offsetting's great. You have big investors and who are making huge changes and you have, you know, thousands upon thousands of individuals who are collectively making small decisions that are adding up. So everything helps. So... That's a good tee up for another question from one of our fans. Um, at April Wong Photo asks, how can we make climate change work for us in terms of rallying a movement for environmental and political change? So is it actually, is it maybe a good rallying cry? I don't know if you think back on the, Stephanie, I see you, you're kind of grimacing already. Uh, you know, if we think back on the environmental movement, is this, a, is this an opportunity for us to really rally everybody to get behind this? Because it does seem like there's, more and more people talking about it. I think so. You know, honestly, if you would have asked me three years ago, I probably wouldn't have been as optimistic, but I've seen a lot of changes happen in just the past year. I mean, these students, um, Greta, if you don't know who she is, she's this 16-year-old from Sweden. Uh, she's rallied millions of students around the world to pay attention to climate change. I, until she came along, I was like, mm-hmm, I'm not sure. So she kind of lit a little bit of like my enthous enthusiasm. Um, another analogy I like to give to is, you know, with the gay rights movement, I mean, it, forever you could have zero same-sex marriage and then a few states started doing it and then it was a pretty rapid turn with the Supreme Court and not like we all woke up and, and everyone could get married, but it did turn pretty quickly. And so I think we are on a precipice with climate for that matter. And lastly, I think what's going to make it a big, huge movement is the continuing science. I mean, the United Nations came out with a report in October that said we literally have 12 years to get it together. Uh, and so I think that these new pieces of science help us intellectually get there. And then we start to see more climate change impacts from extreme weather events. So now that we're starting to see extreme weather events more and they're costing us billions of dollars, politicians are starting to wake up. So actually, I do have a lot of hope. And money is always the answer. Um, and a lot of these elected officials want to save their constituents' money. And that means not being in the path of extreme weather. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage 
all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Are you actually seeing the surf change? Are there places that are getting swamped out at high tide? Are you seeing some erosion? No, but I... Well, or around the world. I mean, kind of, I guess I mean, you're I'm surfing I'm definitely everywhere. seeing with the weather situation. I mean, one of our best friends who rides for Vans too, Dylan Graves, I mean... His home island of Puerto Rico got decimated in one of those hurricanes, and the thing was just coming warp speed power, and uh, it crushed that community. Everyone was just really had a hard time with it. So, I mean, seeing those impacts kind of, I feel jolted, you know. Um, so I, it makes me want to react in a certain way um, towards the change. So I think that's kind of it. Um, obviously, anytime you see a really dirty beach, that's, that's troubling. But I haven't seen a break shift. Um, obviously, maybe, well, Dylan's surfing the ice, icebergs right now, actually. He's surfing them today. So <laughs> they're melting, and he's catching them. So maybe he's seeing it firsthand. Do you know where he is? He's in Alaska, yeah. In Alaska. So wow. he would be a good person to refer to. But uh, yeah, that's the only thing I, I'm aware of. At I this think point. I think this is a hard thing, right? Because while the plastics issue is super important, it's also really visible. So like, it's easy to like snap a picture and show it. Whereas when you're dealing with something like climate change, you're dealing with this concept of shifting baseline. So like, if you grow up today, you don't know what it what it used to be like. So your baseline is now shifted forward. And it happens so slowly that it's really hard to see, right? So we know that there's more extreme weather events. But again, it, it's still, the change is so gradual uh, in human time, yes. not in Earth time. Definitely not in Earth time. The change is not gradual. But from a human perspective, that it's just really hard for people to get grasp the, like, urgency and to actually wrap their head around the, the changes that are happening. I mean... To, to go back to that 93% number that the ocean absor has absorbed that much heat, it's essentially like we've just racked up all this debt and it's about to come due. Yeah, we have about exactly. 20 to 40 years of climate lag and we're starting to see the effects now of what we were doing 20 years ago and that's what's crazy. Um, so there is a true sense of urgency and maybe you want to speak to like what exactly is happening right now yeah. in Greenland and, and that sort of sure. situation. Just briefly because I think it's really important and as our ocean warms it's thermodynamics which means that the water molecules expand so a lot of people just think oh it's like all the ice caps and the, and the glaciers that are melting that cause that problem. Yes that's half of it but a lot of it is from expanding molecules of water so there is a huge slow, lag on slow that. Slow down and exp explain that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like layman, layman's terms uh, for uh, me anyway. Basically uh, uh, as the water molecules get warmer, they expand. And that's called thermodynamics. Um, and that, I mean, that's really what's happening. A lot of people don't realize that, right? Like, it's, that's what's- The ocean's literally just getting swole. Like. That's a perfect way to say it. And, and to your point, back to California and surfing, we've worked with a couple of universities to kind of look at, see what will happen to impacts on breaks. And we have this great story map, which we're going to release soon, and it shows that with just three feet of sea level rise in California, about 80% of surf breaks will be drowned. And obviously, it depends on if it's a, a, a beach break or a point break. I do know all the lingo, even though I don't surf. That's um, impressive. Because I take, I take it back to the geology. Anyways, um, so yeah, I mean, that's a pretty stark number. And so a lot of scientists... Slow down and say that again. I, I, yeah. I keep stopping you because you get on a roll, but we need to really <laughs> hit this point. Yeah, so say scientists... Three feet of sea level rise? Three, three feet of sea level rise. And most in scientists... In California? Yes, in California. 
And most scientists say by 2050, there will, give or take, be three feet of sea level rise. And again, it really depends on what part of the coast, but regardless, that's a lot sooner than the end of the century. So just three feet in California will drown 80% of the surf breaks in California. Well, you could Eight, probably see zero. that on the North Shore. They're, they're seeing quite a bit of erosion uh, of a significant yes. Yes. way that I've never seen before. Yes. Houses falling into the ocean, and it seems like there's a potential severe issue there. And then also Miami Beach, I know they surf quite some fun waves, and I heard that Miami's below sea level or something. Yeah. Right? In fact, it's having, um, they call it sunny day flooding. Sorry, I'll stop with the, the science in a second, but it, they're, because they Keep are, it rolling. I love the science, because <laughs> I am learning here. <laughs> yeah. This is good. Like, Kim just nudged me. Uh, but they are, they're underwater. I mean, they're below seawater, uh, sea level, and essentially they're getting sunny day flooding where there's incremental seawater intrusion. So there is this, like, this, you know, shifting baselines that Kim was talking about that's critical. And people in Miami, we actually have a few employees there who are my age in their 40s. I was lying, I wasn't in my 20s, um, that have seen things change. Just even their storm drains in the back of their alley is having seawater come up. And so that's just, that's one employee at Surfrider. So we're starting to see the baseline shift. The East Coast is sinking a little bit through subsidence. So the West Coast is better off in terms of future sea level rise. But um, yeah, we're definitely going to see some impacts to breaks for sure. And I don't know if you want to talk about Capo Have you guys looked at the North Shore though? Has any of yeah, the Yeah, actually, I was just there in uh, November. It was crazy, the erosion. Yeah. yeah, talking about Capo Beach down by San Clemente. Um, Right before I went out to D.C. the last time I was out there to talk with legislators from all across this country, um, Capo Beach Basketball Court, which, I mean, I learned how to play basketball on when I was little, and it's not the best surf in the world, but, like, you, you spend your beach days down there. I had a birthday party down there one year, and just in one night, the whole thing's gone. The basketball court's gone. The palm trees are all gone, and that's not necessarily like sea level rise happening all in one night, but that's that sea level rise, that's increasing storm surges, that's everything all working together. And, uh, you know, it's about looking at those things and recognizing what we're going to lose. And maybe a basketball court isn't like the heaviest thing in the world to lose, but those are the emotional ties that we have to certain objects and certain places that we can never get back, you know? And I don't think I don't think each person truly understands what we're going to be losing until you lose it for yourself. And we just have to be proactive and make sure we're dealing with this issue before it's too late. So we just got pretty heavy there with some science. <laughs> and yet we have one of the most Stoke people I know on stage. We have a, a brand that represents Stoke and just fun. Surfrider, you're all about protect and enjoy, right? It's not just protect, it's end and enjoy. And Jackson, you always keep a positive attitude about it. Are, are we pessimists or are we optimists here? You know, like it's, it's really easy to get overwhelmed. And so I kind of put it out to the crew, like, what's your outlook? How do you feel about it? Because I feel like there's a lot of uh, pessimism and it feels overwhelming. And at the same time, I feel like there are a lot of solutions. I feel like there are things that we can do. I feel like businesses are stepping up and we're seeing more and more of that. And it's a great trend. And I, I try to be a realist about it, but at the same time, um, you know, I have to believe that these are things that we can solve and, and will solve and we'll find a way to adapt to it. I won't say fight climate change because it's, you can't fight the weather, but you can adapt to it. We can figure out ways to survive. So that's my outlook, but I want to kick it out to the whole group and say, you know, what's, what's the outlook? What's the forecast? I'm really positive. 
honestly. And I'm not a positive person, generally. <laughs> I'm a realist. I'm a scientist, you know? Um, so, but I, but, I mean, to the earlier point about Greta and this generation of people, that gives me so much hope. I can't even tell you. And I will say just in my work, so I've been doing corporate sustainability work for 13 years. And during that time, I've seen different industries change, including the apparel and footwear industry, which of which Vans is a part. Um, I've seen how much things have changed and how consumer demand has increased and how our employees, um, a lot of whom are in the next generation be, be, behind millennials, um, are demanding it. So I do think while we definitely have to act quickly and we've kind of, we're definitely behind, like I see so much momentum that I do have a lot of hope actually. I do too, and I'll just be really quick with two examples. Um, states like Hawaii and California have passed legislation that they're gonna be carbon neutral by 2045. That's huge. California is the sixth largest economy in the world. And even with Governor Brown, he increased our renewables by 25% and our economy still grew. So this whole argument of we switch, we're gonna lose money is crap. Sorry, child, small child. Um, but. We know that that, I mean, we as California are gonna start changing the tide. So I have huge, huge hope for that. I think that's amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm positive, absolutely. Dane, oh, you're I, a positive vibe warrior. You have to be. Well, sometimes you can feel overwhelmed at the situation, you know? And some days I came back from Nigeria and I was pretty overwhelmed. You know, I'm like, what am I doing over here? <laughs> you know, but hey, you when you start chipping away at it and you do little bits and bits and each day you do a little bit more, you, you feel like proud of yourself and, and a part of the solution. And that, that can flip you from a uh, pessimistic experience internally feeling overwhelmed to an optimistic one at the end of the day. So yeah, I think just doing those small things gives you a gratitude towards the experience. And, and you can, it's all inside, you know, and it's the actions you take and you being accountable for your own actions. That's, that's where you're gonna get the satisfaction, you know. Jackson? I would say I'm an optimist. I think People are going to lose their spaces and, you know, people are going to get hurt. They're going to get sick and a bunch of people are going to die in the face of what's facing us, what, what we are facing. But, uh, you know, there's so many young people like we've talked about tonight stepping up and one in particular who's inspired me to, to get involved in this fight in the first place. I mentioned earlier, Scott Martinez, he's him and, you know, 20 other young people are suing the federal government right now and demanding that uh, you know they address the climate crisis at the scale we need to to ensure a livable future for future generations. So um, I I am considering myself an optimist. Important point though, Shiteska actually they they sued Obama. They sued the Obama administration first. This is true. Um, yeah. That's how you know it's it's not a left or right thing. This was a planetary yeah. thing, and they were like, hey, you're not doing enough. Yeah. It's just he, taken this long for the case to get it get out there. He sued Obama. Jamie Margolin sued the governor of Oregon. Uh, Shiteska and other youth sued the governor of Colorado over fracking. There's so many great things happening right now. <laughs> Awesome, I love it. We're gonna come back to the positivity. Um, I do wanna to get to questions from the audience also, so tee those up. We'll go to one more from the uh, social media crowd. Adam Skolnick, at Adam Skolnick asked, what does the heat wave in Greenland mean for the oceans and climate change in general? I, I, I think we kind of touched on it, but really let's hit on the ice sheets. And then after that, we're gonna go out to questions from the crowd. Yeah, so 
Um, we just went really positive, and then here I go to the realist again. But actually, if NPR... But, but, but it's, it's realism, but at the same time, we need that information yeah. to do something. Like, I, I always take this information. It's like, oh, it's a downer. Okay, now I know about it, so now I can do something. If right. I'm ignorant, then I can't do anything about it. Right, right. I think that's fair. Okay. Uh, I'm taking a positive lens on your realist information. Thank you. That's why I like you. Um, for many other reasons. So if you, if you actually go to NPR's website today on All Things Considered, they had a really good segment on exactly what's happening. It's called the Heat Dome. Of course, they always have clever names like the Polar Vortex and the Heat Dome. And so now this is the Heat Dome. Um, and actually, you know, what they were saying, it is quite, very quite frightening, uh, the amount of melting that's happening. So just to give you a perspective on what usually Arctic temperatures are, um, it's never been over 80. They've only been recorded one time it's been over 80. This summer it's been over 80 multiple times. Um, that's near the Arctic Circle. That's not even the heat dome that's hanging over Greenland. Um, so depending on how long this hovers, um, will impact how much ice is melting. And, you know, there could, theoretically, of every piece of ice on Greenland melted, we would have 23 feet of sea level rise, and that would take out three cities, Boston, Galveston, Texas, and Miami. So that's not going to happen, but it's good to know how much ice is there. Um, and we're kind of have to wait and see how long this hangs around this week. But even today, Scripps scientists on NPR were saying that this will produce um, more than just inc incremental sea level rise that in the next five to 10 years, we will see probably a little bit more than we thought because of this heat dome this summer. Well, it's funny. I got friends in Iceland. And I was just talking with them on the phone because I was, saw their, they're sending me photos and they're like bronzing. And I'm like, they're like, I don't know if you've been to Iceland, but they're not used to sunshine and they're, neither is their skin. So they're glowing red, but I was like, that's not normal. And it makes sense now to hear this information come to light. It's a serious thing going on. He was like, well, I don't know what's going on. He's born and raised there. He'd never seen anything like it. So that's an interesting situation. Yeah. Wow. That's heavy. Um, all right. Let's go to some questions from the crowd. Do we have any questions from the crowd? Do you want to uh, take a mic? We got one over here, front left. So my question is, uh, you touched on like corporate responsibility and all the things that Vans is doing with the events, and that's super awesome. And I guess uh, you see now, especially in surf, I guess, and sports, action sports, there's a lot of uh, maybe doing more sustainable products, so recycle materials, organic materials, and that. But what I've seen from some of the brands, it seems like it's a small part. It's like, here's our organic collection or our recycled collection, but 99% of the products are still not. And so what would it take for companies to really start to lead the way in terms of, hey, we're going to commit to 100% organic cotton. We're going to commit to our Vans shoes are now going to be made out of all recycled materials. And then on the flip side of that too, as a sponsored surfer, your responsibility with how you pick your, uh, who sponsors you, how you pick those companies. And do you see that with your fellow sponsored pro surfers? They're picking companies that are more aligned with sustainability and not. Do you want to go first, Kim? Sure, sure. So thank you for asking about products, actually, because he's right. Um, our products, if you look at the entire carbon footprint for a company like Vans, any company that makes things, most of their carbon footprint's gonna be in their, from the making of their products. And specifically for Vans, most of our carbon footprint comes from materials. So we do actually have materials goals, um, and we're working towards those. A lot of those have like 2025 um, deadlines. 
including things like recycled PET and nylon and other things like that. We're also starting to look at rubber um, more closely. Um, but I think the, the, to get real again, <laughs> we, like, when we decided on those and got those signed off, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, I can't even believe that we did this. Then we also decided that we would sign up for what are called science-based targets which super wonky and nerdy, but basically um, it means that we are signing up for what the science tells us we need to reduce by. Not what we think, not just some arbitrary number, literally what science tells us. And we're actually working through that right now. But I will say that even I was very, I was blown away when I saw how much more we have to go like, I thought, oh, well, our materials goals will get us some, some of the way there. I knew there would be a delta to getting to those, target, those science-based targets. I was shocked <laughs> at how little, how far away we are. So I guess my question or my response to you is we are doing things, but even I was surprised at how much more we still have to do. And so those will be coming out at the end of this year, and at that point, we will have to have some real plans to, to go a lot farther than even the, the goals that we've committed to right now. Yeah, and I, I really appreciated your question in terms of coming from an athlete perspective. Um, it is true, you, you, you partner with brands or align with them essentially, um, and you really gotta believe in who you're connecting with because at the end of the day, you're representing that brand and you gotta feel proud about the message that you're sending to, to people uh, interested in it. Um, obviously, we're super psyched with Vans. We've ridden for Vans for, I mean, almost 20 years at this point. And uh, not only are they making changes on the eco front, um, they just stand for a bigger family element, which is positive in so many ways. There's, not, there's so many missions to, to go for. And I feel like Vans really represents, on the whole, just a really beautiful company. Um, really proud to ride for Hydro Flask. They've, they've been doing um, fantastic stuff. Uh, even their packaging now is is it's like paper or you know it's a, they it's not plastic anything in there and um, I know I mean obviously everyone can still improve on stuff too and that's the point of it I mean it's a plastic lid yes for sure and I'm sure they're working on things like that to keep evolving but yeah as an athlete you do have a choice and and uh, my brothers and I we we all ride for the same companies and we have tried to uh, align ourselves with uh, positive messaging whether it's whether it's uh, on the eco front or, or in any other kind of role within the context of what it means to be a human being. So, so yeah, we're very proud to ride for the companies that we do. And it is a conscious decision, so thank you. To answer your question very quickly, you said what needs to happen for companies to shift everything. I work in sustainable brands. I know a lot of local business owners who are trying to make that shift. We as consumers need to vote with their dollar. You know, that, that's, that's the best thing we can do in supporting the people who are making the right decisions. I, can I just add to that, too? Thank you for saying that. Because the more you um, vote with your dollars and the more you actually make it known. So we have been getting more and more questions into our customer service. So chat on Vans.com. What, what are these products made from? Are they sustainable? Things like that on social media. Um, I mean, those are like real proof points that I use to like make change. So it seems like 
I, I mean, outside, before I worked at Vans or, you know, in a consumer-facing brand, I wouldn't have thought that it really made a difference. But seriously, like, every single question that comes in comes to me, and I, I use those, so. And I'll say we see them at the WSL as well. We see the comments, and it helps fuel my argument to say, hey, we got to make change. We're going to do one more question because we got to get, get out of here. There's a concert coming soon. I see a hand up at the back, and then we're going to get to giving away this board. Uh, from Cliff Bar. And while we're getting the mic over there, I just want to say thanks again to Pacific City for being amazing hosts, for giving us this venue and this platform to speak about the issue. I want to thank Cliff Bar for helping sponsor. And you might have noticed uh, Jackson actually has a Make It Good t-shirt on. So there's a promo going with hashtag Make It Good. So you can help promo the work that they're doing and they're supporting WSL Pure, which is really powerful. Thanks to Vans for being an amazing host of the event, supporter. And thanks to Surfrider for being here. Um, they're an incredible partner, WSL Pure. You, you do work you know, here in the U.S. and around the world uh, with your other chapters. So really honored to have all of you here. Thank you so much. It's been great. Well, let's do one more question. What do we got in the back? It's got to be good. <laughs> Lots of pressure here. All right, all right. So um, approximately about 13% of textiles go into all waste and amount for the amount of waste overall. Um, thrifting is a huge way to reduce that. Have you guys ever considered thinking about using um, the methods that like Patagonia has used where you either buy back, trade, um, repair, etc. You know, something like that that Patagonia does. Have you guys uh, discussed about that within Vans? Yes. Yay. That's that. That's the short answer. <laughs> so circular product is something that we are also working on. So when we rolled out our materials goals, we realized that while I thought they were they would make a big difference, and they are making a difference. We know that that's just incremental, and really the ultimate goal is to not use new materials. Um, and just use old materials and extend the life of current products either through reuse or, or upcycling. And so um, we are working on it. Um, one thing that we ha that's been made public um, is we do have a shoe recycling program here in um, Southern California. It's a pilot right now. Um, so if you go to the Vans Family app, you can see which stores are um, participating. But um, that is for recycling of any shoes, any brands. Um, I'm hoping to expand that to all stores at, um, next year. So, but I need people to participate in order to make the case. Um, but <laughs> but on top of that, we are working. We are thinking about things like uh, rental. Um, reuse, repair, re-commerce, we call it, where you take, that's basically what what you were referring to. So yes, those are all things that we are considering and looking at because we know that uh, materials goals are really important and changing the way we make things is important, but I also think the shift um, in just how we do business has to happen as well, so. Nice, well, thanks again to all our panelists, Dane, Jackson, Kim, Stephanie, I really appreciate it. Um, Take this conversation home with you. Continue the conversation. Thanks. Yes, we can applaud. Thanks. No, this is, this is incredible. I mean, this is just a starting point for a lot of us. Uh, and I would encourage you all to join this journey, right? Don't feel like because you drive a truck that you can't participate in the climate conversation. Don't feel like because you once used a straw that you're not in on it. Yes, she gets me. Um, you know, we can all be a part of this conversation and create this change together in our community. Uh, and thanks again to Vans. Oh, we've got... I just want to thank you, you personally. Back. Like, I know, I was like, someone took my mic. Yeah, please, please thank him. He's legitimately making surfing more sustainable and eco-friendly, and I think it's fantastic, and you deserve a lot of kudos. I second that.
thanks, thanks, team. I'm like, all, now I'm all blush. I had like a good, strong close in mind, and now I'm all blushing and, and taking a moment. I appreciate that. Listen, I'll say, you know, we're trying to honor the work that came before. Surfrider's been around here for 35 years. Vans has a long tradition of doing this work. Cliff Bar's been doing amazing work for years. So we're all just trying to do our thing. And, and the WSL and WSL Pure are trying to do our part and help support that work. Um, so you can check out what we're doing at our site, WSLPure.org. That was such a fun dialogue, and I hope you learned a thing or two from our guests. We'll link to all their relevant links and Instagram handles and everything in the show notes for this episode. Now, for some exciting updates in this week's Flotsam and Jetsam. First up, Bill 40. It passed. Bill 40 is some of the strongest legislation we've seen banning single-use plastics, and this bill was being proposed in Hawaii. The Hawaiian community and so many stellar partners of ours worked on this, including Kakua Hawaii Foundation, Surfrider Oahu, Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii, and they all just worked their asses off to make this happen. I mean, Raf and I, Raf is from Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii. We sat down uh, this past week in Hawaii and talked about it, and he said this is 10 years in the making, and it was really a lot of work in the community, so we dive into that story on next week's episode, and so I really encourage you to go learn more about Bill 40 because it's rad. Shout out all those groups and give them a high five on social media, and then come back next week to tune into the conversation with Raphael Bergstrom, Executive Director of Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii, where we dive into the whole discussion. Congrats to that community. Great work. Great example for all of us out there, and a lot of lessons learned uh, going forward. Next up, our friends at Vans are busy delivering an exciting Vans Triple Crown of Surfing. And if you're not watching, you should be. But that's not all they've been up to. Along with their parent company, uh, VF Corp, they also announced impressive science-based targets for sustainability this week. So science-based targets are pretty intense. It's an initiative that champions science-based target setting as a powerful way of boosting a company's competitive advantage in the transition to a low-carbon economy. So essentially, it's going, what does the science call for? Not, a, what, not what do we want to do as a company, but what is the science calling for? And so for Vans, this is going to mean an absolute reduction of scope one and scope two greenhouse gas emissions 55% by 2030 from a 2017 baseline year and an absolute reduction of scope three greenhouse gas emissions 30% by 2030 from a 2017 baseline year, focusing on farm to retail materials, sourcing operations, and logistics. So it's pretty in-depth, and we're stoked to see this kind of announcement from a big brand in surfing, as well as the other brands under the VF label. So shout out Vans and team, and shout out specifically to Kim Matsukis, who was on the panel that you heard from earlier, for all her hard work and all the hard work of that team to set these broad, audacious goals. I'm really, really proud to uh, see that kind of work, and I hope that more companies step up to the task. And finally, uh, this week, there was a really cool article about whales. And whales are rad. Yeah, of course, we love spotting them when you're surfing. And yes, they're beautiful and just fun. But they're super important to a healthy ocean. I mean, duh, right? Of course. But the reason why might not seem obvious at first. And this article from the International Monetary Fund highlights how a strategy to protect whales can actually limit greenhouse gases and global warming. Why? Well, Whales are really big, and they store carbon in their bodies. They're like 30 tons. That's a whole ton of carbon, material, and matter. And in addition to that, they provide vital nutrients to phytoplankton via their um, poop, basically. <laughs> uh, feces, I guess, would be the technical term. So uh, it's essentially part of the whole nutrient cycle. Um, they provide all these other ecosystem services, but those nutrients to the phytoplankton are really important. So the phytoplankton grow and are healthy, and then they store carbon and release oxygen that we breathe. And so it's really cool, and whales are rad, and we should protect them. Go check out the article, and thanks to our buddy Raj for sending that one in to us. Remember, if you have news to share or something cool that you want to share, hit us up, oneocean at wslpure.org. Really easy, oneocean, all spelled out, at wslpure.org. 
That's it for this week. Until next time, I hope you're finding a wave wherever you are. Please, if you haven't already, subscribe to the show, rate, review. We love it. It helps us out. It helps the show grow. And um, yeah, we'll see you next week.